the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. Uh, We are engaged in a uh, new project with a new book, um, that we just introduced a couple of weeks ago called God's Got a Problem on His Hands. Wrote this book back in 2003. And um, the last couple of weeks we've been asking uh, the question, well, we had three questions actually. Um, Initial salvation as we understand it, as we are taught. Um, And the three questions that I asked were, or were I should say, what are we saved for? What are we saved from? And what are we saved to? Um, nobody really seems to ask those questions, and um, it's one of the areas that I deal with a lot in, in this book. You can get it on my website at simpletruthministries.net. Uh, uh, over to the uh, publication section, the book section. Uh, it's also available on Amazon. Um, it's probably it's the shortest of my books, um, but I think it's one of the most powerful because I ask a lot of questions that typically people don't ask about our experience, our walk with the Lord, and these questions are vital. Um, they're really uh, not all that theological. They are somewhat theological. I mean, it's not that we're discussing how many angels can, uh, you know, dance on the head of a pin. We're talking about practical things, pragmatic things that um, a lot of times uh, people get into something that they really don't understand. Uh, It's never really explained to them. Um, And they go to or attend an evangelical outreach and um, it's really a kind of a minimalistic presentation in the sense that it just doesn't say a lot. It's a beginning point. It's good that it's a starting point. We've got to start someplace when we begin our journey with the Lord. Um, but we don't oftentimes ask, um, why did Jesus come? What was his purpose in coming? His, the Father sent him to complete something. Um, why do we only pretty much read the last third of the Bible? We really don't spend a lot of time in the first two thirds of the of the Scripture. Why is that? Um, in other uh, shows, I've asked questions: are or what are the points of eliminating or just uh, minimizing or diminishing the importance of the first two thirds of the Scripture, and is it connected? with uh, what we Gentiles spend a lot of time in, which is the last one-third of the, of the Scripture, beginning with um, the birth of Jesus. And so if you want to catch up on the last two weeks that we have asked these questions, um, and also there was a question attached for the last two weeks, is, is initial salvation... Uh, more like or akin to a scholarship 
or is it more akin to a diploma? And it's tied into those first three questions that I just asked earlier um, as to salvation. What are we saved for? What are we saved from? And what are we saved to? And when we examined um, the last two weeks, and I would encourage you, you can go to the podcast on KPRZ. Uh, you can pick up those earlier shows, um, hopefully answering the question, um, is initial salvation more like a scholarship or more like a diploma? Um, I'm really not going to review those today because um, they're pretty self-explanatory if you listen to those shows. So you can also go to my um, uh, website and, again, www.simpletruthministries.net and go to the media page, and then uh, you'll see the uh, podcast uh, shows, which are originally radio shows here at KPRZ, and then uh, they are uh, moved over to um, my pad- podcast uh, page um, at that location. So feel free to check those out. Um, so we're going we're gonna to tackle the other three questions, uh, and we're going to take a look at two things. What are God's goals for us? What are his objectives? Um, what are his targets? And what is, he, what is he doing with this whole process of, of salvation? And I think when we start to look at what God's goals are in this process, all of a sudden we can start to answer uh, those other three questions. What do we save for? What do we save from? And what do we save to? So I'm going to tackle this first question, what do we save for? And uh, we're going to spend some time on what God's goals are. I'm going to invite you to uh, write down, we're going to have a lot of verses today, write down these verses and then check them out for yourself, prayerfully consider them. Um, I'm not sure if anyone ever connected the dots um, for your previous teachings, but I think God is in an era of where he is connecting a lot of dots, and he's bringing in a very um, more expansive and complete and thorough um, explanation so that we can start to understand what this journey is all about. So, Let's start off with, basically, here's another question. Why am I here, and uh, who am I? So there's an identity question, and, um, and there's a location question. And there's an inquiry of what's the point about all this. So let's talk about God's goals in answering the question, what are we saved for? So uh, I kind of shock a lot of people when I take them to a location that you, most people don't usually go to initially when they're beginning their journey. But I think it's important up front to look at these um, five verses out of Second Corinthians chapter 5. And the verses begin at page 15 through 20. And I want to throw a challenge out to you to count how many times uh, the word reconcile, some form of that word, uh, show up, whether it's the past tense as a verb, the present tense as a verb, whether it shows up as a noun, um, as in the form of reconciliation, um, or as a gerund. I mean, there's lots of different forms and shapes that this word appears in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I think people are shocked when they see this repetition of this word over and over and over, and it kind of blows up their paradigm if they've been taught that the goal of the Christian uh, journey, the uh, target or the objective of the Christian journey is all about relocation to another place from where we are currently. So let's go ahead and read this. I'm going to read this out of the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns, 
And I'm going to start at uh, verse 15. So where are we? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And it's talking about um, uh, why did Jesus come and why did he die uh, on earth? And he pick it up at verse 15. It says, and he died, referring to Messiah Jesus, on behalf of all, on behalf of all. In order that, now when you see those words, that's going to tell you this is the purpose, this is the reason. In order that those who live should not live any longer for themselves, but for the one who on behalf, on their behalf, died and was raised. Of course, that's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 16, so from now on, we do not look at anyone from a worldly viewpoint. Even if we once regarded the Messiah from a worldly viewpoint, we no longer do so. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, Messiah Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Look what has come. Is fresh and new. There's an exclamation point there at the end of verse 17. Again, where are we? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, here's where I want you to start counting the number of times this word reconcile shows up in one form or another, beginning at verse 18. And it is all from God, who through the Messiah, Messiah Yeshua, his name is uh, Yeshua in um, in Hebrew, and that means he saves. Messiah means the anointed one. So if you're reading from a complete Jewish Bible uh, by David Stearns, you're going to see the reference oftentimes, instead of um, Jesus Christ, it's going to say Messiah Jesus, okay, or Messiah Yeshua, who through Messiah has reconciled us to himself. Now, let's start at the beginning, again, on verse 18, and it is all from God talking about the Father, who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself. That's the first time that word shows up. That's a past um, verb tense, has reconciled. It's already happened when we come to the Lord and have a relationship with Jesus. He has reconciled us to himself. Now, who to himself is, it's just talking contextually, about the beginning of verse 18. Let's go, so we understand. The beginning of verse 18 says, and it is all from God. In other words, Father God's setting this up. He's orchestrating this. He's staging this. He's presenting this opportunity. He's, it's an invitation. And it is all from God, I'm reading verse 18 again, who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself. That's talking about the Father there. And has given us the work of that reconciliation. That's the second time the word in some form or another shows up from reconcile. This time it's a noun. He has given us the work of that reconciliation, which is, okay, so he's going to explain to you, reconcile between who and who which is, now we're in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, which is that God in the Messiah, that's talking about Father God there, but in the Messiah, that's talking about Jesus, was reconciling mankind to himself. Did you get the, the, the sense of that? It's the Father God who in the Messiah was reconciling man to himself not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us, here you go, the message of reconciliation. It shows up again as a noun. But listen to this. He's entrusting to us, in other words, the believers, the followers of Jesus, that same message, the same ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to read this later in the New King James, and you're going to see uh, how consistent this is. Now, verse 20. So we now have three reconciliations, or reconcile. Therefore, we are ambassadors. 
of the Messiah. Why does he say that? Because if you look at the verse right above that we just read, it said we are being entrusted with this message of reconciliation between Father God and his children, but in the Messiah, through the Messiah. He's the bridge. Jesus is the connector. Okay? Let's go on. Therefore, again, verse 20, we are ambassadors of the Messiah. In effect, God is making his appeal through us. So we as children are ambassadors to bring this message of reconciliation between errant or prodigal children who were separated from their divine father that they can come back to and rejoin and connect with again their father through Messiah Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And God is making his appeal through us. So that's part of our job is to continue that ministry, that message, that the whole point of why Jesus came was to have a message and a ministry of reconciliation. Have you seen any message so far uh, that this is all about uh, relocating from point A to point B? It's not talking about transportation here. It's talking about reconnection. It's talking about reconciliation between separated fathers and children. What we do, this is going to verse uh, 21. Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to finish verse 20. Let me read 20 in its, uh, in its whole and in its, in its entirety. Therefore, we are ambassadors of the Messiah. In effect, God is making his appeal through us. That's the message that we are supposed to take out to the world that doesn't know their father because they've been disconnected from their father. What we do is appeal on behalf of the Messiah. And here it is. This is a quote. Be reconciled to God. And there's an exclamation point there in the complete Jewish Bible. I'm gonna, let me read that again. What we do is appeal on behalf of the Messiah because the Messiah's completed his mission. He has died and he has resurrected and he has ascended back to the Father as he told his apostles. He says, I go to the Father. And we're supposed to be saying in verse 20, the end of 20, be reconciled to God. That's the message that we're supposed to be taking out to the world. Now look at verse 21. God made this sinless man, talking about Jesus, to be a sin offering on our behalf so that in union with him we might fully share God's righteousness. Okay? So why don't we go over to Second Corinthians 5, taking that same challenge to count how many times do you find the word to reconcile or reconciliation? And so I'm going to read it straight from the New King James. We'll start again. Let's go start at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right, where are we? We're in Second Corinthians 5. Now we're going to go to verse 18. Again, start counting now. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's really, I think, a, probably more clear in, in this instance than the complete Jewish Bible. The New King James has a really good translation again. I'll read the beginning of verse 18. Now, all things are of God. In other words, they belong to God. Who, you're talking about Father God, by the way, who has reconciled us to himself, that's a capital H in verse 18, and here's the key word, through, that's a preposition, Jesus Christ. He has reconciled as Father, us as children, through his divine Son, Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So to be reconciled back to Father God shows up twice in verse 18 by itself. So whatever you have, um, as far as follow-up, um, check out your um, in your own Bible what it says and write down how many times the word reconcile appears and what verse you find it. Okay, let's move on. 
verse 19. That is, that God, so this is the ministry of reconciliation. This is what, verse 19 is going to explain what is the ministry of reconciliation that Paul mentions in verse 18. Okay, that is, so here, go, here it goes, that Christ, I'm sorry, that God, speaking about Father God, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Okay, did you get that? Let's write it, read it again. That is, comma, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Wow. It doesn't talk about transportation as being the point of why Jesus came. And what are we saved to and for? What are we saved for? What's the point? We didn't lose heaven in the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. They had, in essence, heaven on earth because the presence of God was with them. They had been given their purpose, which was what? To take on the likeness of God because they were made in Father God's likeness and reflect his image. That's what image and likeness is all about. And exercise their dominion and their authority over their inheritance, (laughs) which they were already given, which was the material creation, the earth. Can you see how this is so different from what we taught about? Boy, we just need to get out of here. Satan celebrates that message because he's, I think we've talked about this on earlier shows. If you go up to uh, Luke um, chapter 4 and the second temptation of Christ, uh, here we have the two uh, leaders of two spiritual kingdoms, the kingdom of light, which is Jesus as the Son of God, he is representing, um, having come to earth with a purpose, with a message, with a ministry, and then the opposite, the adversary, the liar-in-chief who, uh, through deception, had basically blew up God's plan in chapter 3 of Genesis, everything that he had planned for mankind in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Check it out. Check out man's happiness, man's satisfaction, man's um, completeness, man's uh, discovering and acting out his purpose in Genesis 1, especially Genesis 2. It was amazing. I mean, all the material creation, man's told, hey, you run this place. I'm giving you the authority, which is the legal permission, to have dominion over everything that's in this material creation, with one exception, which we'll talk about at another time, which is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in essence, man was getting carte blanche, a check, without any, without, except one limitation. He was virtually given completeness, wholeness. Um, it's more than happiness. It's, it's, it's the joy of just being in God's presence and being in his creation and then knowing that you have a job to do. It's amazing. And, and so here... When we're talking about this reconciling in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have to say, well, reconcile means to bring together two individuals who used to be together, and something happened. Something separated them. And so in order to bring them back together, that's called reconcile. And now Paul is telling us in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, he has, he, the Father has, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation on how to get back to the Father. In other words, Jesus is handing off the ball in verse 18. And and so you say, well, what does that look like? What's this ministry of reconciliation um, look like? What's it sound like? And then verse 19 explains it. You want to know what the ministry of reconciliation is that Jesus handed off to us after he was finished with his part? After his resurrection, after his ascension, he returns back to the Father. And so we've got the ball in verse 19. That is, God was in Christ. This is the ministry of reconciliation. So you can explain it to somebody who says, what's this all about? God, in verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Wow. Let's finish this verse 19. After the break. See you soon. 
Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show? Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember, .net. God bless. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. So, where are we? What are we talking about? Well, we are answering a question, um, one of three, actually one of four, but what are we saved for? And we're talking about what are God's goals? And, um, you know, in this experience that we have coming to know our Father through Jesus Christ as our, well, his son and our older brother. Um, And you might say, well, what do you mean older brother? Well, you know, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, and he's teaching us, uh, Jesus is teaching us the one prayer that he taught, (laughs) which was answering the question directly, how do we pray? And he says, this is how you pray. And so here we have Jesus on earth um, answering this question, and the first two words to this prayer, the Protestants call it the Lord's Prayer, the Catholics call it the Our Father, but the first two words of the prayer um, start off with Our Father. And actually, if you're focusing on the first word, Our, well, that's the plural pronoun. And it's talking about a situation where Who's teaching us in that moment on how to pray? Well, it's Jesus Christ. It's That's what the Jews call Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He was a Jew. Some people are shocked to hear that. Um, he celebrated the Jewish um, Moedim, the feasts and the festivals, and he kept all those. And he was part of the, of the he is the fulfillment of the, of the covenant that was made with uh, the, the patriarchs between Father God and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he's, he's doing a lot of fulfillment. He's doing a lot of uh, carrying out God's goals. But if Jesus in the moment of teaching me the prayer that I ought to pray, because I ask him, for example, that's, we're just going back to the scripture, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, here it is. Our Father. Well, in that moment, he's saying our. So the question that comes up or comes to mind is, is Jesus my Father in that moment when he's teaching me this particular prayer? And that kind of stops everybody, but I follow it up with, what is Jesus to you in that moment in a family sense? In a family sense. Well, in a family sense, he's saying there's someone else that we both have in common, and it's a mutual relationship. In other words, it's, it's a mutual person <laughs> that we both uh, have in common, which is a father, our, our father. And it ap- applies to both him and us. Now, that kind of shakes people up, because a lot of times when you hear people pray, especially sometimes pastors and and Catholic priests and, and Protestant folks, and, you know, it's across the board. They'll start off with a prayer saying, Father, and then, they, and then they'll not stay in that prayer mode, praying to him anymore. It shifts. It changes. And so then later in the prayer, they're talk, talking to Jesus, and then, uh, and then later, later in the prayer, sometimes if, you know, folks are Pentecostals or whatever, uh, they end up talking directly to the Holy Spirit, which... Um, I want somebody to 
go very slowly on because I, I don't see praying to the Holy Spirit directly anywhere in the Scripture, and we're I'm hearing that more and more and more and more. And I'm thinking we have to have Bible for what we believe and what we do. We have to have Bible. And so um, I just caution people, you know, not to do it because something's a fad or or something that's, you know, it sounds right at the time, and and it's like, well, okay, but did Jesus model it? Did Jesus ever put it on display? Because we're supposed to look to him to say he brought in the Father's kingdom, and that's what his job was, was to bring Father God's kingdom, his his rules, his ways, his government to a crazy, chaotic, um, full of calamity earth that is full of rebellion against everything that is of the Father. And when you think about it, when you go back and look at the title of the book that I wrote, it's called God's Got a Problem on His Hands. And you say, whoa, well, what's God's problem? And Sometimes I'll say, you know, we all need to take a a mirror, including myself, and we have to look in the mirror and say, I'm God's problem. Why? Because I'm in the process of dying to three things, the world system, uh, to sin and the power of sin over my life, and the third one is dying to myself, where my desires conflict with Father God's plans for me or Father God's will for my life. And so that's called dying to self. You know, and it's nothing unusual. that We call it the message of the old rugged cross. And um, the question that Jesus poses is, you know, will you pick up your cross, die to self, and follow me? I mean, that was the original question that he asked uh, his apostles and his disciples. It hasn't changed. It's the same question. And, you know, a lot of times when we go to these evangelical rallies, you know, it, makes us, it makes it sound like it's all about us. And I understand that p- why people go, because they need initial salvation. We all need initial salvation. We need to be forgiven of the mess and the wreck we have made of our lives through rebelling against the Father's will. and But unfortunately, the message stops there in most cases. In other words, if I'm thinking that I'm coming just to get rid of my guilt from of my sin and my shame from my sin, you know, at an evangelical rally, so that, so that what? That's the question. What are we saved for? We're saved to discover and to walk out God's goals for our life because the gospel that we preach contemporarily in in the modern day is very partial. It's not complete. We're not telling the entire story. And that's what I'm challenging uh, my fellow Uh, brethren and sisters in the Lord, and to say, look, I mean, I've come from two different worlds. I came from the Catholic world. I've I've come from the Protestant world. I'm currently in the Messianic Jewish world, um, working with all of these camps. But unfortunately, um, we think that we have everything through initial salvation where we stop with forgiveness of sins. And if you were to say to someone, yes, you need your f- sins forgiven initially, I get it, because you've got to start at that location. But you say, why is that required? Because in essence, Jesus says, I am the way, John fourteen six. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, that word life, you think, well, is that just relocating and going to a place? And once I get up into that other location, that's where eternal life begins. And then in John fourteen six, he says, "And no one, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. No one gets." He doesn't. He didn't say goes to heaven. He doesn't say no one gets to heaven. We think that, 
because that's what we've been taught, whether we are Catholics or whether we're Protestants, it doesn't matter. We've been all taught that. And unfortunately, if you go back and check the Scripture, and I don't care whether you're in the New King James or you're in the New American Standard or you're whether in the the New um, uh, Living Translation or you're whether in the complete Jewish Bible, it doesn't say the word heaven as the goal or the objective or the point. It says no one gets to the Father. Now, if we don't understand that and we, and we minimize that, it changes everything. I saw it as a jail chaplain for 10 years when we preached this kingdom message, which was being reconciled from your, our separated status from God. Because when we're separated from God, We don't have eternal life. Somebody may say, where'd you get that? What are you talking about? I mean, separated from God, we're dead? Well, where I get it is John, another um, verse in John, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. Jesus is in the upper room. He's praying with the apostles. This is the night before he dies. And he's praying to the Father about his apostles. And he's about to explain what union with God looks like in John 17, 3. But at the early part, he wants to explain something to them. And he says in verse 3 of John 17, 3, And this is eternal life. Okay, so that's the setup for that verse, those four words, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That K-N-O-W, know word, a verb, is not talking about a ticket to go to another location. It's talking about are we... Can we say we know God relationally, deeply, profoundly? Do you, how much time do we spend with him? How much time do we hang out with him, asking him questions, proposing things to him, running things by him, double-checking, triple-checking, doing fleeces, finding out what his will is before we go off and say something to someone or do something or decide something or go someplace or take a job, for example, or not take a job or do a career change or whatever. Have we gone to our divine Father who loves us so much that he sent his only begotten Son to take the hit for us for our earlier rebellion against our loving Father. That's why forgiveness is so important. We have to get forgiven first so that we can approach God and say, we want to get back together with you, Father. And that's why we're spending the times in these verses in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus is saying, I brought you this ministry of reconciliation. And you say, huh? He's handing the ball off to us because he's with the Father. He's now reunited with the Father because he did his job. The last three words he said when he was on the cross was, it is finished. He had completed his divine assignment. So let's go back to verse 19. I'm going to read 18 and 19 together, 2 Corinthians 5. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do we preach like that? I mean, I hear, I hear young people going out on evangelical um, you know, outreaches and things, and they, here's the question that the, that the kids are told to ask. If you died tonight, Mr. Unsaved Person, or whoever it is, Miss Unsaved unsaved Person, where would you go? That's the question they're told to ask. Is it the right question? 
does it have any relevance? Does it have any material, is that a material help in something? We have to explain, look, we need salvation. What are we saved for? Is because we have been separated from someone. And when you're separated from someone, you can't say, I have eternal life, per John 17, 3. <laughs> and this is eternal life, John 17, 3, okay? That this is, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So if eternal life is knowing God, when can I begin to experience eternal life? Do I have to wait and die and then travel to some place before I can begin to experience eternal life? If it's relational between Father God and myself through his son, Jesus, reconciling us, then that means I can have it now. Right here where I am and right now in time where I am. Right here, right now. And all I need to do is allow Jesus to reacquaint me, to reconcile me, to rejoin me back to the Father that we, mankind lost with the deception of Adam and Eve. Do we understand what their agreement with Satan's suggestions meant, it meant that they were separating their relationship from the Father that they had experienced in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They gave it all up because they believed the father of lies when he said, Father God isn't worthy of your trust. He's probably jealous of you, or he's envious of you, or he, you know, he's holding out on you somehow because he doesn't want you to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they bought it. They swallowed the bait, hook, line, and sinker. And we have been ever since trying to get on the road to recovery which is called in these verses of Second Corinthians, the end of Second Corinthians chapter five, we're being given now that Jesus has gone back to the Father. He's saying, "I am giving you this ministry of reconciliation." You need to explain that to people. So the question when we're out evangelizing isn't, "If you died tonight, where would you go?" That's the wrong question. It's not even close. Well, what would be the question since we've been given the ministry of reconciliation according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5? Jesus gave us this ministry of reconciliation. What would be the right question in that instance for people who don't know God? If you died tonight, who would you meet up with? That's a very different question. And it's a question that I, as a jail chaplain for 10 years in a maximum security um, here in San Diego County, asked the inmates, and I said, you should thank God because he shut down your program of rebellion against him, and he brought you here. He forced you to be here and hear this message because this message isn't where you're going. Now, in many cases, they were going to go from a maximum security jail over to, you know, state prison. But it wasn't an issue. It's not an issue of where we go. It's an issue of who do we meet up with on Judgment Day. We all will have that same opportunity, that same fate of becoming before the judgment seat of the Father. And But I tell you, all of a sudden... Their attention span in that multi-purpose room of, had 45 uh, inmates in there. They began to listen in a very different way because there were other churches that had rotated through to the, in the jail preaching the same old earlier gospel message that they had heard. Jesus loves you, uh, and, and he came to die for your sins, to forgive your sins, so when you die, you get to go to heaven. That, what, that was the message. It didn't matter what church it was didn't matter where they came from. It was the all the same repetitious 
uh, message. And what we heard from the inmates is, I've been saved multiple times. One guy, one guy brought up 25 times and nothing in my life changes. And he asked, why is that? And what our response was is that Jesus came to preach the kingdom of God, the main focus of which is a message of reconciliation to get you back to know who your daddy is, your Abba is, your father is. As the Jews would say, your Av, Avinu, our father. What a different message. And I asked one time an inmate, I said, hey, let me ask you something. Would you live your life any differently if you thought the, the, the whole Judeo-Christian you know, uh, journey was, was a ticket to, to go to a place called heaven versus getting to know your father again through reconciliation? Would, would you live your life any differently? I asked them that. And this one guy said, I would live my life radically differently. And I asked the inmate, hey, tell the other guys, why? He says, well, you know, if it's, if, if it's salvation, if the, if the whole point of the salvation is just to, you know, get a ticket and go to a place, I don't have to change. I get my sins forgiven, but I don't have to change. I don't have to transform myself. I don't have to become a new creature in Christ. I don't have to put on Christ. I don't have to put on the mind of Christ or activate that. I don't have to do any of that. But if, on the other hand, if the message is of the kingdom of God, which Jesus preached, the kingdom of heaven has now come to earth, the kingdom is a restorational message to restore a relationship to reconcile separated members of the family he said well then i when i see my father i have to give an accounting to him on how i lived every detail in my life and knowing that I am going to begin to live in a very different way, knowing this salvation that Jesus has brought us is basically to find out what Father God's goals are, what the Father's will happens to be. You know, as we review the um, the mess, I'm sorry, the um, well, the message and the ministry of Jesus in the four Gospels. Here's a challenge for you: count how many times Jesus says. The words I say, the works I do, who did, who did he attribute those, um, those works and words to? Always. In fact, he even told Philip, because when Philip says, show us the Father, he says, Philip, I've been with you this long. I've shown you the Father. If you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. That's how connected we are. And he says, everything I say, I'm paraphrasing now, and everything I do, you know, the signs and the wonders, the works, all of it, are because God, my Father, has instructed me to say it. Read the end of John chapter 12. He says, look, the words I say, I, I just repeat what the Father tells me to say. Do we live like that? We're supposed to emulate the life of Jesus, how he conducted himself. He wasn't, you know, this wasn't something that, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, of course he's the Son of God, but he was also Son of Man. And what's interesting, if you count the number of times that when Jesus is doing miracles, I think it's like 84 to 12, and he refers, Jesus refers to himself more, way more frequently as the Son of Man as opposed to the Son of God. Was he the Son of God? Of course he was. He was very God of very God. But he was also very man of very man. But the point that Jesus was making when he would call himself the Son of Man more often and more frequently is because he was trying to message to us as his brothers and sisters (laughs) to say, hey, you know, this ministry that I'm doing, greater works will you do. That's in John 14, 12. 
You know, we read that and we blow it off and go, yeah, right. You only did the miracles in our back of our mind because the enemy's telling us he did the miracles because he's the son of God. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm doing the miracles because I'm the son of man. And I'm, empower, I'm giving you authority over all of the power of the enemy. That's what he said when he sent out the 70 in, in Luke. Luke chapter 10. He says, I, behold, I'm giving you all authority over the power of the enemy. And you're going to step on snakes and scorpions, and nothing of his will by any means harm you. All right, so let's finish these verses up. I want to finish. um, Let's read 18 and 19 again. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the bridge back to the Father. Read John 14, 6 and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to be doing the same thing when we go out and evangelize. Quit asking if you died tonight, where would you go? Don't ask that anymore. Ask this question instead, since we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, getting people back to their father. Ask if you died tonight, who would you meet up with? And you watch how they pay attention. Look at verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ meaning the Father, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us. Who's us? The church. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I think that's the fourth time this word reconcile shows up in these verses. Now check out verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God, Father God, were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to Father God. Wow. Is that a different message than what you were taught? It sure is for me. Hey, hope you have a ton of simple truth moments this week. God bless. See you next time. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's simple truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.